it really just seemed pretty daunting until very close to the end. Just the the span of the U.S. ski industry. I mean, it's it's almost every state, far flung places in in lots of states. I mean, New York, Pennsylvania, Michigan have almost fifty in each. It was, I guess, just it shows the power of doing things in in chunks. I did a few every week for a long time. Hello, fellow Powderhounds, and welcome to the Powderhounds Podcast, a ski trivia podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Shaw. You can follow me on Twitter at PowderhoundSkis. You can also email me at PowderhoundSkiTrivia at gmail.com for comments, questions, or corrections. Today's episode will surely make you want to catch first chair, not just at your home mountain, but at every mountain you visit. You will hear from the authority on lift serve skiing in North America, Peter Landsman. Quick question How many mountains have you skied in your lifetime? 20? 50? Maybe 100? As you may know, there are about 470 ish lift serve ski areas in the United States. The ish is indicative of a good or bad snow year. Another related quick hitting question. How about the number of chairlifts at those 470-ish ski areas? The answer, 2,382 chairlifts, and my guest has been there, done that. That's right, he skied all 470-plus ski areas and likewise checked off all 2,382 chairlifts. Inspired yet? If not, the music inspiration for the episode is an oldie but a goodie. When I Come Around by Green Day because Peter actually finished his quest outside Green Bay, Wisconsin. Now sure, the band and city names rhyme, but the lyrics were pretty damn good too. Cause you know where I'll be found. Peter can be found supervising the lift fleet at Jackson Hole. And it's me out on the prowl. Peter crisscrossing the country to visit every lift serve ski area. You can't go forcing something if it's just not right. Peter honors no trespassing signs. Seriously. And finally, so go do what you like. Make sure you do it wise. Go visit those chairlifts. But make sure to check the weather report first. Unless, of course, you're on a six-plane hop to Cordova, Alaska, and then you just have to get off the plane, no matter what. If you're interested in sorting any of that out, I invite you to sit back, kick your feet up, relax, and enjoy the experience of everything skiing and riding. I'm excited to welcome my guest today, Peter Landsman. Peter is the founder and editor of LiftBlog, the go-to resource for news and information about chairlifts, gondolas, and trams at ski areas in North America. Peter's also a lift supervisor at Jackson Hole Mountain Resort in Wyoming. Peter, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Jeff. 
I'm so glad you're here. And just so the listeners get to know you a little bit, I'm sure they've read up on you recently, but which we'll get into. But how long have you been skiing and where did you start? Basically, as long as I can remember, I've been skiing. Uh, my dad taught me how to ski at Snoqualmie Pass uh, near Seattle when I was three or four. And we would go every weekend to Snoqualmie when I was little. And then eventually I kind of graduated to Crystal Mountain, which I would, I would call my home mountain now. A, a really amazing resort right next to Mount Rainier. Could not pick a better place to start. Now, uh, as you graduated, whether it's to, uh, to Crystal or uh, Snoqualmie, what is your favorite terrain or has it changed? Cruisers, trees, bumps, or steeps? If you had to pick one, what would it be? Uh, I would say steeps. I'm in a good place for it here in Jackson. Crystal has amazing <laughs> steeps. Yeah, I would say there's there's not much better than like a steep shoot. You are in the place, that's for sure. <laughs> good, good answer, right? What's your approach to the ski day? Are you first chair? Are you 10 before 10, bell to bell? Or do you nab uh, you know, a nice comfy Adirondack chair as the sun pokes out? Or maybe mix it up, a little bit of both. I would say it's it's different depending on whether I'm on a work day ski day or an off day ski day. When I'm when I'm at work at Jackson, I uh, generally am out early in the morning, ski chunks of the day in and out of the office. So that's kind of bell to bell in a way. But when I'm on an off day, particularly if I'm checking out a new resort, I like to get there right when they open. Generally, ski the morning, and then depending on whether I have to travel to another resort, uh, I'd rather start early and end early. Then, uh, then wake up late. Absolutely, sort of get the best crack at it. Now, uh, these last two quick hitting questions are about travel, which you do extensively, and we will certainly get into. But briefly, anyway, do you have any bucket list destinations? Are there any destinations less left? And I guess they're probably outside North America. But uh, any bucket list destinations? The birthplace and home of the ski lift is really the Alps, and. Uh, I have never skied in Europe, which is, at some point, I really would like to go, uh, I don't even know if it, I, it matters whether it's Switzerland or Austria or Italy, but definitely need to go to the Alps to go skiing. And then another one, this, this isn't as much skiing, but lift related. A lot of the world record holding lifts for length and vertical and most expensive lift ever built are actually in Vietnam. So that would be a number two for me as far as international lift travel. Oh, that's a great call there. Did not know that. And I had seen some fun lists of most scariest lifts in the world, you know, coolest lifts, funkiest lifts. That's a good one to know. Uh, and then finally, I guess, related maybe back to that first bucket list. Where are you skiing next? That's not uh, Jackson. Well, Hall. I've got a couple more days here in Jackson. <laughs> we close on Sunday here. So I'll be skiing here. And then I'm actually going to Seattle for a couple weeks next. And so my my uh, ski vacation after the ski season is crystal. Nice. Where it all kind of started, or at least took the next step. Well, yeah. that's great. And I think we're going to pick it up from there, that travel. Peter, I'm not going to bury the lead here. I have to ask, how does it feel to have visited every ski area in the United States? You know, it, it's kind of surreal. I didn't, I was so busy traveling that I really wasn't <laughs> thinking about finishing until I finally did finish. It's, uh, it's pretty surreal, and I'm already kind of really focused now on what's next, which is all of the new lifts which are being built this coming summer. And a lot of times there's ski areas that, that were closed, and, that, you know, every year a couple ski areas reopen. So 
even though I'm finished, there will be more, more ski and lift travel to come. It's so exciting. 22 years in the making. Do you have any idea of how many ski areas have closed since you visited them? Or is that something you don't really keep track of? I would guess in the probably between 10 and 20. It's a relatively stable industry at this point. There were a lot more ski areas in the 70s and 80s. A lot of those closed before I started this quest. And the ones that are left now are, are pretty stable. And I would say almost as many have reopened in the last few years as have closed. So that's a good thing. The, the industry has Great. really stopped. It's shrinking. It's, it's right now about 480 in the United States. Let that settle in, listeners. 480 in the United States. All been checked off. Yeah, in a recent interview, I read that you said, quote, there's nothing I'd rather do than go explore new ski areas, end quote. And I had to smile because those words not only resonated, but it illustrated my approach to this past winter season. I visited two dozen or so new-to-me ski areas, but pales in the comparison to 480, the numbers you racked up. But I share that addicting allure of discovering new places. So I guess I wanted to check back with how, how you got there. And can you talk a little bit about that origin story? Certainly growing up in Washington, but maybe going to school and sort of the path that got you to Jackson and obviously on to 480. Sure. So I uh, pretty, pretty quickly when I was little in, in probably elementary school, I realized there were other ski areas besides Snoqualmie and Crystal. And as soon as I could convince my parents to, to go on a, you know, a trip somewhere, whether that was Sun Valley or Whistler or another ski area in Washington, I was, I was begging to go to as many as I could. My brothers, I'm one of four boys, so we would all pack up in the car and try and go on at least one or two trips a year somewhere from Seattle, always driving. And in high school, you know, once I started being able to drive myself, uh, I could branch out a little bit more. And then really when I started going to lots of mountains uh, was when I was in college and I went to college out in Maine. New England just has so many resorts. It, it might seem to New Englanders like, like uh, you know, Northern Maine or Northern Vermont is a long ways away, but coming from the West, <laughs> coming from Washington State or you know, having skied in Oregon and Idaho, Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, that is so much more dense with ski areas. And I was able to, every weekend, pretty much in college, go to a bunch, a handful at least, of new areas for four years, which was incredible. Yeah, I, it's something many of us take for granted, again, being out on the East Coast and need to appreciate that. Drive time is considerably shorter than maybe some of our friends out, out West. Yeah, I wanted to pick up on that. Do you have any favorites out East? Favorites out east, uh, certainly do. I in Maine, I always had a New England pass. I really liked Sunday River. It's not the biggest vertical area in the world, but it it skis. I feel like it skis so big because it's got so many of those different peaks all lined mm -hmm. up. And then I would have to say in Vermont, uh, my favorite is Sugarbush. They have happen to have the longest chairlift in the world, which is probably making me biased on the ski front, but. Uh, <laughs> Those two uh, are two of my favorites in New England. That's the Slidebrook Express for folks listening. I think that actually might have been a, a trivia question on my last March Mobile <laughs> Madness episode. So nailed that one. So anyway, good reference there. But uh, I certainly can share the uh, affinity 
with Sunday River and Sugarbush. But how about getting to over to Jackson Hole? I understand that you're celebrating a big number this year, 10-year anniversary, and importantly, halfway to the next maybe internal professional goal of having a lifetime season pass. <laughs> yeah, so I've done 10 seasons here at Jackson. I moved here after Congrats. college. I just, I wanted to work at a ski area. I always wanted to work at a ski area. I didn't know if it would be a season or two seasons, but uh, now I'm at 10 seasons. And Jackson Hole gives a lifetime season pass to any employee who works 20 years. So uh, I'm halfway there. You're eyeing it. Uh, anything exciting going on at Jackson? I read about a recent employee housing project, and I believe we're going to get in the lifts a little later, but there is a lift project at Jackson Hole. Yeah, the owners of Jackson Hole, the Kemmerer family, um, they've been investing a lot in the mountain lately, and they're, they're not stopping. This summer, the Thunder Quad is getting replaced with a detachable, and that's right in the middle of the mountain, so that'll be a great upgrade. And uh, yeah, us employees are very excited about the new employee housing that's going up. It's uh, pretty important at a ski resort to have employees uh, run the ski resort. So we're uh, always looking for more housing. Certainly that's a topic that's been headline worthy this past season. So that's great to see that and certainly seeing it in other places too. Speaking of tracking projects, Lyft projects specifically, you founded, you are the editor of a little website called Lyft Blog. And I'm going to let you talk about it in a minute, but just for folks listening, I'm sure many are familiar with it, but you will find almost everything you could ever want to find out about Lyfts in North America. It is easy to navigate, take it from someone who's technologically adverse, and users can find on the homepage, place for news roundup, social feeds, how to connect with Peter. The uh, bread and butter, though, is the Lyft database tab which features each state and province uh, in Canada with their ski areas listed alphabetically. And within there, the lift, uh, ski area lift profiles have lift name, type, manufacturer, years of operation, capacity, vertical rise, length, horsepower, line speed, chairs, towers, drive, tension, ride time, and other notes. But more importantly, maybe most importantly to the visual learners out there like me, pictures, tons and tons of pictures to really make you appreciate what Peter's uh, taking the time to uh, document. And then there's also a new lifts tab, which I'm going to get into a little later. I'm going to tease Peter on that one. Organized lift projects by year with the most recent up top. And then there's a great map with the lift projects pinned to the map of the United States. And again, listed alphabetically by ski area. Uh, Peter, can you tell us a little bit more about lift blog, what I left out and uh, what else uh, readers and users can find? Uh, yeah, so I, a couple years into working at Jackson Hole, I, I was seasonal at that point, so I was only working winter and summer, and I had quite a few weeks off in between seasons every year, uh, and one spring we closed, and I was, I just didn't really have anything going on, and I decided that I had this interest in lifts, and I knew, I read a lot of other successful blogs about other things, and uh, I decided that maybe, I wasn't sure, but I thought maybe there would be other people interested in reading about all these different lifts I'd visited. So there's the website, as you said, is basically split into two. There's the news portion and then the, the database portion. And uh, both have proven to be quite popular. I, I had no idea how, how many people would have any interest in this topic other than me when I started it, but uh, it's, it's done nothing but grow every year since. And that was uh, about, I think, 2016 when I started the website. 
Well, congratulations. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's my go-to again, if I'm doing any sort of research or even trivia question research on lifts, guess where I'm going to go do some verification with blog. Uh, so thank you again for, for all your work on it. I got to ask you though, how do you monitor and keep track of 480 ish ski areas plus Canada plus other international ski areas and other, you know, interesting metropolitan people movers. I mean, how do you tackle that? Well, I started keeping track of the lift industry well before I started the website. I had a, a an Excel spreadsheet going of lifts uh, when I was probably about 10. I started cataloging what was where. As Basically, as soon as the internet came around was when I could really see what was at the different mountains without having to go there. I've now been at this quite a while, and I've obviously studied all the trail maps kept up on the websites of all the resorts and they and now social media of all the resorts so i have a pretty good pretty good tab on the happenings around the industry and then since i've created the blog i get a lot of emails and tips and and uh questions and answers from from readers you know if there's something i don't know about they tell me Right. So you kind of built that community, which is, is, is probably really, really helpful. Yeah. I was just, I was just impressed. Cause even, I think it was last week I was poking around and unless it was an April fool's joke, I think you did three different posts on Friday, April 1st. <laughs> I know that's a and none of them were jokes. There was all real news <laughs> and it was just the way it worked out. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure what ski area marketing department thought it was a great idea to uh, <laughs> announce an actual project on April fool's day, but it happened last year and it happened multiple times this year. So no fake news, no fake uh, stories, <laughs> joke stories this year, but maybe next year it'll be quiet on the real news so I can do an April Fool's post. For sure. I look forward to that, you know, uh, chairlift or new gondola connecting uh, Africa to uh, Central America or something. <laughs> so I assume then that you hear from, you know, marketing staff at certain ski areas, probably comb over some master plans when they get updated. So sort of a steady flow. In terms of your readers, I know you said obviously the content is getting tons of clicks and follows and certainly you're getting contacted by a lot of a lot of readers. Is it a mix of industry folks, casual skiers like myself or uh, kind of a mix? Or it's other definitely people? a mix. Uh, I would say a lot of people who work in the industry read it, but also a lot of people who are just skiers and I've learned skiers are just a passionate group. People who go to ski areas are just totally engaged with what's going on there. And when they're, even when they're not there, if they're sitting in their office on a weekday, they're still thinking about and reading about <laughs> skiing. So uh, I think that's what's helped having a ski related website is just how passionate people who ski and snowboard are. Absolutely. No question about that. I also wanted to ask you, uh, is there other information related to lifts that you track that are not on the website? I have an, in, I have an internal uh, list of places I need to go, either because they built a new lift or in, in Canada, there's still some resorts I haven't been to. So I have on my computer what I call a hit list mm -hmm. of uh, places I need to go. And it's all color coded by, you know, which ones I can do on the same trip and when I, when I need to get there. Well, let's, uh, let's talk about that. So you, uh, you had that Excel sheet and certainly have your hit list now, but just to recap, in case I didn't make it clear at the, at the jump, Peter did the impossible folks, 480 ish ski areas. I think that came out to 2,381 lifts in 22 years. These are ski areas visited. 
These are lifts photographed and documented, again, back on lift blog, all those particulars I ran through. This is every single chairlift, gondola, tram, platter lift, and T-bar in the country. Just incredible. And we were talking before we hit record, you know, I thought I had a seemingly impossible goal. I do some work at state capitals and through my travels ended up visiting maybe 10 to 12 and then realized, wait a minute, I'm halfway, almost halfway there. So my goal became to visit half. And now my goal is to visit all state capitals, like many people that are either history buffs or, you know, capital buffs. There's lots of books about that. What we're talking about is 480 visits <laughs> in different states and different places, different elevations, different climates. So again, just the enormity of that, that goal is, is, can't be understated really. When was that moment when you actually realized the weight of what you were doing? You know, at what point were you like, I've ridden a thousand, you know, chair lips, this is a 200 ski areas, or was it really that earlier on? And you said, well, I'm not really thinking about the goal. I'm just gonna keep doing this because I'm excited about skiing new places and visiting new places. I would say it was actually fairly recently that I realized I could do all of them. In some ways, the pandemic actually helped me with the travel because it allowed me to focus on the United States because, you know, instead of trying to go to another cool ski resort in British Columbia, uh, I couldn't go. So that helped me get all the ones in Iowa and Wisconsin and ones that I was maybe less, a little less excited about going to. It really just seemed pretty daunting until very close to the end. Just the the span of the U.S. ski industry. I mean, it's it's almost every state, far flung places in in lots of states. I mean, New York, Pennsylvania, Michigan have almost fifty in each. It was, I guess, just it shows the power of doing things in in chunks. I did a few every week for a long time. <laughs> Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that pace, just in, in the logistics. I mean, I'm sure everyone listening is also wondering about that. So you said five or 10 per week, uh, if you had some flight delays or you had some mother nature wasn't cooperating. Um, yeah, the pace definitely varied. I would say it picked up at the end when I realized I could actually do this. In college, I had to also go to school. So <laughs> that's important. That's true. <laughs> um so I did, you know, some weeks, you know, finals week, I didn't do any, but certainly I did the, I did the whole West, pretty much the entire West was driving trips. So I didn't have to rely on airlines and the whole new Northeast was in college driving. So, you know, that I had a lot of control over. And I also became a very careful weather watcher. If the weather didn't look good somewhere for a trip uh, and it was going to be a, you know, an ice storm on the roads, I would just either not go or go somewhere else that week. And then the end is where I really had to get into the air travel. Mm, And uh, I got pretty lucky with, with uh, careful weather planning and, you know, leaving enough padding in my schedule where if something did go wrong, I could still get what I wanted to done. Now, do you have a, what's the record for the most ski areas visited and documented in a day? I think it was six. Wow. And I think that was that was in the summertime, so not actually skiing, but yeah. you know you have so much more daylight in the summertime, so some of these skiers you know if you start hiking at six in the morning and and go to a bunch of skiers, you can go until eight o'clock at night and have plenty of daylight in terms of photography, sometimes it's easier with that blue sky, maybe the sun out rather than maybe it you know dumping buckets of of snow <laughs> yeah, it's, photography can be tough in uh, December mm-hmm. when the sun is super low and it's either dark or or snowing. 
Yeah. Now, uh, I did also want to ask you, I guess you started answering the question, my home state. It sounds like you visited when you were in college during those loops. Uh, do you remember anything about your Connecticut stops? And there'll be a question later about this. Do you, I guess anything out the top of your head or was it just, again, a long time ago? Uh, Connecticut? No, Connecticut was one of the more, I would say, I've, I think I went there a couple of times to get them all. Okay. Um, more recent, th those were some of the more recent trips. Oh, good. No offense, no offense, but Connecticut wasn't necessarily uh, my first crack. At, uh, but yeah, I remember We may all not have 4,000 feet of vertical drop that you wake <laughs> up to, <laughs> but maybe combined if you add all, all the ski areas. I think we do. No, we don't. <laughs> <Go ahead. laughs> they certainly operate a lot of days and a lot of hours. I mean, it's pretty yeah. impressive. Some of the mountains in Connecticut that are running from 9 a.m. to 10 p.m. seven days a week. Yep. Uh, even when the weather doesn't cooperate, it's pretty amazing. That's our bread and butter. But I'm glad that it was more recent and it was a couple times. And I, I take it you were able to access Lake Ridge, which is a private or, or semi-private uh, ski area. So I was just curious, how, how'd you get there? I went there in the summer and it's on a lake, hence the name Lake Ridge. Yeah, yeah. I just parked at the lake and walked around and checked out the ski area and there nobody uh, gave me any trouble. There weren't <laughs> any signs or anything. I'd, I think a lot of these places that, they're just ski areas. It's just woods. And, you know, every once in a while I run into one in the summer that has no trespassing. And obviously I honor that, but mm -hmm. a lot of them are just empty ski areas and no one's around. Now I want to talk about the payoff. So again, you did describe some uh, overly positive logistics. What was the hardest ski area to get to? Oh, uh, that's an easy one. In Alaska, Cordova, Alaska has a ski area called Mount it's E-Y-A-K. I don't even know how to pronounce it. EAK, I think. It's a single chairlift from the 1930s. It came from Sun Valley. It's partially made of wood and it's a very seldom operated, very remote <laughs> ski area on Prince William Sound in Alaska. So it took me six planes each way to get to Cordova. And actually when I took the flight to Cordova, I was the only passenger that got off in that city. Um, it was one of these milk run flights on Alaska Airlines and uh, we landed and parked and nobody got up. There were a few other people on the plane, but everyone just sat there. And, and finally the flight attendants got on and said, we only have one passenger for Cordova, last chance for Cordova, please get off. Yeah, it's a pretty remote place, an incredibly beautiful, unique ski area. Wow. Did you hesitate for a minute, but, but you ultimately got off? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I realized then that uh, that was me. Yeah, that was and, you. <laughs> uh, got off the plane. and uh, But mm. just generally the Alaska areas, yeah. um, they're all a very unique. Alaska is just a massive state with a handful of skiers that are all very, very unique. Yeah, I think a lot of, when I ask the question about just sort of bucket list, I think Alaska almost nine times out of 10, it kind of comes up probably for that very reason. And of course it doesn't come up for you because you've been there, you've been to all of them. <laughs> I also had read Turner Mountain in Montana can kind of be a bit of a difficult place to get to. Is that true? Yeah, it's definitely in a very extreme Northern Montana. I went there in the summer, which probably made things a little easier, but yeah, not particularly close to any airports or, or major cities of any kind. Yeah, someone said it was like a 28-mile access road with kind of, you know, just nothing. Uh, and dirt. Yeah, dirt road. Dirt road. Okay, yeah. Uh, what it was the most unique ski area? No, that's kind of a broad question, but does anything just kind of come, come to mind? Mm, well, I think uh, the one that stands out is totally different than all the others is Big Snow. 
in uh, New Jersey. Oh, sure. Because it's inside. Mm-hmm. There's no other skiers in the United States that are inside and no other ski lifts in the United States that are inside. The lift actually hangs from the ceiling of the building, which is pretty wild. Wow. Yeah, I have not been there. It's on my, my side of the, uh, the country, so uh, I should get down there, but just have not made the trip yet. What about the most unique ski lift? Now, I know you could go a couple of ways with this. You could go to that 1930 single chair all wood up in Alaska, or you could maybe go to uh, the Ram Charger 8, <laughs> Big Sky, but what comes to mind? Peak to Peak at Whistler, it's the only tri-cable gondola in North America. Then there's the whole 1,400 feet above the ground thing, which is uh, totally unique. Uh, nothing like that elsewhere in the United States or Canada. And it's just got these huge 30-passenger cabins, which are feel like tram cabins, except there are 30 of them on the, on the lift. So it's a gondola and a tram mixed together, which is pretty, pretty crazy. The pictures are almost, just doesn't seem real. Uh, and then in terms of these quick, hit, quick hitters, what was the final trip to complete your goal? I believe I read so it this the is east, inter- or maybe not. This is interesting. I thought my final trip was, in, was the one in the east. I did um, uh, Hickory in New York, which had been closed for a long time. And I visited the new T-Bart Saddleback, which had just been built. And I thought that was my trip. I, I thought I was done. The article was written about me saying I'd been to all of them uh, in the Colorado <laughs> Sun. And then somebody, a bunch of people messaged me and said, have you been this, 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 this? And most of them I had been. And I was like, yeah, here's the link to the page. But there was one person who contacted me in Wisconsin who told me about a little hill um, near Green Bay that I just didn't know existed. So last week I actually flew to Green Bay to go to this T-bar that, that uh, has three towers and goes up a few hundred vertical feet. Well, hey, uh, I'm really happy to have caught you then after you uh, recompleted. So I think I'm done now, but it's, <laughs> we'll see. There's probably some hole in the wall place I don't know about still. Yeah. Well, that, oh, that's fantastic. Again, uh, congratulations and um, just speaks to the community. You know, they really wanted to not only see you do it, but make sure that, you know, you did it. Uh, and that's really great. Segwaying into sort of more specifically about some of the lifts uh, and projects happening this year and into the future. But in your travels, have you, um, as you amassed expertise, have you observed any ski areas whose lift configuration puzzles you or you'd like to kind of see changed? Just sort of looking at the layout and being like, Hmm. Um, one that one that comes to mind from from recent one of my recent trips up to Big Sky, um, the Moonlight Basin side of Big Sky, which was its own ski area, it was developed separately from Big Sky Resort. You can tell that it uh, was only half built, and then they ran out of funds. The original developer, so uh, the lift system in, in Moonlight Basin at Big Sky is is a there's parts where you really have to take two lifts when you should really only have to take one. I think they're looking at reconfiguring some of it because it definitely, the headwaters lift, you have to actually go uphill a little bit to get to, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So yeah, I would say Moonlight Basin. They've got some nice lifts and some good lifts, but they definitely could use some more. Good to know. I had not explored that area when I was at Big Sky last. It has been a couple of seasons, so certainly lots have changed. And one thing I just want to go back to, broad observations, you are the authority on the state of skiing in the U.S., sir. You are. You work at one of the alpha dogs, biggest and baddest, badassest ski area in the country, and now visited all of them, even as some reopen, you're going to get there. So is there a better person to ask this question? How would you describe the state of skiing? And you certainly had a positive spin on it earlier as we kicked off. I think the state of skiing skiing is, is great. 
you know, this this hot topic is the multi-mountain passes and Icon and Epic. You know, this this crowding, the the, the talk about crowding and, and um, reservations and limits and, and uh, overselling is actually a good sign. I mean, the, the product that's being sold is skiing and people want to go skiing, which is a good thing. You know, there's a few challenges around with, with lift lines and a parking, certainly. But uh, the underlying problem is not a problem at all that lots of people want to go skiing and, and the ski resorts um, across America should be pretty happy about that. Well said, sir. This is the authority now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Peter. Uh, I want to transition a little bit into Lyft specifically, uh, some of the trends and just capital uh, projects underway. Is it fair to say that higher capacity and comfort is the trend of the day? Yes. <laughs> no, again, just the proliferation of you know the Sixers, the eight packs, the bubbles, that that kind of thing. And I guess the you know the one A question is: is it also fair to say that buying new is sort of is also the trend versus uh, purchasing used lifts from other ski areas that are upgrading? Yeah, we're we're definitely seeing huge investment in in the lift world. Tons of skiers are not only replacing old lifts with new, but also doing expansions. The, uh, the, the buying a used lift and reinstalling it the project has gotten more challenging. The ANSI code, American National Standards Institute code for ski lifts now has a lot of requirements for when you relocate a lift, you have to bring it up to current code, which has only gotten more and more expensive. So I would say 90 to 95% of the lifts built this coming summer will be brand new because it's just so expensive and time consuming to make an old lift comply with the code. There are ski areas which are still doing the relocations and it, for cert- in certain cases it makes sense with certain equipment, but the vast majority of projects this summer will be new lifts from manufacturers that are uh, very nice and often with bubbles and heated seats and all sorts of fancy bells and whistles. Hey, I can't argue with comfort, you know what I mean? And that's just exciting to see what they come up with. Cost-wise, just so listeners and myself, a novice here again, uh, just understand in terms of costs from least to most expensive, uh, T-bars, you know, surface lifts, fixed grip, whatever it is, quad, triple, double, uh, high-speed lifts, chandelas, gondolas, trams, is that sort of the right order? And what did I leave out? Yeah, I would say that's the right order. Um, and, And the big split is fixed grip versus detachable. Fixed grip lifts are just so much more simple, regardless of how long they are. You know, the terminals are way smaller. Uh, There's just way fewer moving parts. Once you get into detachable lifts, a lot of the cost comes from how much capacity and how long it is. You know, a very long high-speed quad could cost just as much as a shorter six-person lift. Everything has to get bigger when you get, when you talk about bigger chairs with more people or bigger gondolas with more people. Right. I don't know if this is more of an engineering question, but I'm going to ask you with sort of those costs in mind, can you just talk a little bit about like the decision-making that and planning maybe that goes into like a lift placement or replacement? Is it straight up just, again, like you said, capacity, and then it just, everything kind of gets bigger, the more capacity you get, or is it kind of those other considerations, you know, wind holds, uh, unloading, you know, crowding, avoiding crowds forming and maybe making areas unsafe? Uh, I think it varies on the resort. I, I think there are resorts with owners who ski every day and feel they know their mountain better than anybody and just say, we're going to start the lift here and it's going to go to here. 
and it's going to be this size chair just based on experience. And then there are other mountains that hire consulting companies, mountain engineering firms to come in and look at the slope density and the slope aspect and everything and, and tell you where to put it. I think it, it really just varies. There's probably the whole spectrum in between those two as well. I have a few fluff questions before I get into some specific lift projects that I wanted to wanted to throw at you. Most comfortable chairlift? Uh, that would be Big Sky Resort, either Swift Current 6 or Ram Charger 8. They've got the same chairs, just a different number of seats. But yeah, the, the most comfortable, definitely those two. That's my boat. Ram Charger 8. I felt like I was in a spaceship. <laughs> just, <laughs> so, yeah, upholstered so seats. It's pretty wild. All right. Hardest lift to load or ride? Now, I was thinking this one, I will I'll admit, I was thinking one specifically. I have not been to it, but I've read about it. The old Hickory Pamas, but I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I haven't ridden them because they weren't actually running when I was there. I had to skin up, but uh, I would say rope toes in general, very hard to ride. Um, <laughs> you know, when you ride chairlifts all day, every day, I, I don't think I've fallen getting on or off a chairlift since I was probably about six years old. So I don't, I don't usually think about that too much unless I'm at work. I mean, and, and then generally fast moving lifts, people seem to struggle with more than fast moving at the load, which is typically a fixed grip double or triple. They, they run a lot faster than quads and high speed quads, obviously. Yeah, it is endlessly fascinating sometimes the difficulty of loading, but again, everyone varies a little bit with, well, if they're paying attention, let alone their ability. Uh, best view while on a chairlift. Ooh. <laughs> Uh, I mean, in a gondola, you're a little bit constrained. I mean, there's posts and things. And from the last couple of years of the best view I've had, I would say probably the Stairway to Heaven quad at Kicking Horse up in British Columbia. It's kind of on a ridge line and it's on the top of the mountain and it's just incredible mountains all around. Well, that I think will probably segue nice into the next fluff question. The fluffiest, by the way, best chairlift name, Stairway to Heaven. Oh, that's a good one. I, I find uh, lists with multiple words in the name tend to tend to sound cooler than, you know, summit or yeah. sunny side, which is usually mm -hmm. one word. I mean, there's some there's a few very non-creative words that I wish wish resorts would stop using um, because we have peak. enough peak chairs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you about something you probably don't cover. Old defunct relic chairlifts. Do any of skiing's past kind of interest or resonate with you? I was thinking specifically about the ski mobiles at Cranmore that I think I saw auctioned recently for, for a pretty penny or the six passenger Jetson style air car from Mount Snow's heydays in the seventies. Anything like that or old rusted out areas, you know, lifts that have been left. Did any of that interest you or we're moving on to the, the present? It does. I certainly, find the history interesting. Closed ski resorts are, are pretty fascinating, especially if the infrastructure is still there. A mountain that's gone back to nature and there's nothing left doesn't have a whole lot of stuff to look at in terms of the ski history. But, you know, the main reason I haven't been to more closed ski areas is just because I've been so busy going to open ski areas. <laughs> that's a good and reason. there are plenty of those. So <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's hard to justify going somewhere to a a rusty tower in the woods somewhere when there's some cool new lift at uh, another mountain somewhere else. For sure. And finally, and then we'll, we will get into talking about lifts. What was the most interesting, I guess, engineering feature in terms of your ski lift profile on your website? I think I ran through it earlier. It was about 12. I'd say lifts. vertical. Vertical. Um, okay. You know, there's nothing more important on a lift in terms of the skiing aspect than how much vertical it has. 
you know, there's some really long lifts that aren't that exciting, but any lift with a lot of vertical, couple thousand vertical is going to be a really uh, interesting lift. All right. So let's get to that. Some uh, lifts that uh, left lift projects underway. I guess I'll just note on the outset, the, uh, the two big dogs, you know, Vail Resorts and Altera announced previously, you know, uh, $300 million capital plans, uh, which a good chunk of them include different lift projects, but certainly there are plenty of independently uh, owned and run ski areas that are doing their own lift projects. So um, I have a ton that I've noted just so I could familiarize myself with what's happening and I'm sure I'm missing a, a lot. I'm definitely not gonna ask you about all of them. I picked out a few I'm interested about mainly because I've been to those ski areas and kind of know the area. And then, mm -hmm. uh, but I'd welcome your input on other things that I didn't ask you about or what you think is people should, should know about. I want to start out west in California, Palisades Tahoe the base-to-base -base gondola that will unite the Olympic Valley and Alpine Meadows. You recently, I think, were there uh, and posted some pictures anyway. Can you talk a little bit about that, the background of the project? It sounds like it's going to be, once completed, the third biggest ski area in the U.S. It's 6,000 acres and possibly the most expensive lift project ever built. Yeah, it's a huge project. Uh, I was there. I just went to check it out. They're, they're halfway done with construction. Um, all of the towers are up. Most of the foundations have been done and it, it wasn't a huge snow year. So you could actually see a lot of the foundations sticking out of the snow. Not only are they doing the base-to-base -base gondola, which is in three different sections, they're also replacing Red Dog chairlift with a, a six passenger chairlift. So this is basically four lifts in one year being completed this year. All wow. detachable, gondolas, chairs, yeah, it's, it's just a massive project. I don't know if I would say it's the most expensive because so many of these projects, they don't actually announce the price. Um, <laughs> Palisades did and Altera did announce the price of that specific project. But other companies like Boyne um, typically don't say how much projects cost. So uh, it's a little hard to say, but it's definitely up there. Speaking of projects that are up there, Steamboat, that's like a... <laughs> I mean, where to even begin, I guess. They're, I mean, they're, re they're redeveloping Gondola Square, but what's happening at Steamboat? <laughs> uh, a lot is the short answer. <laughs> um, so last year, last year, Steamboat has been through a lot of iterations with different owners. The last owner, Interwest, did a bunch of projects, and a lot of those projects are being revisited and revamped by Altera. Um, so last winter, they they re relocated the bottom of the current gondola out of the square so that they could tear down the building. So that gondola will stay now as it is. Um, the Christie Peak six pack is the bottom is getting moved to make way for a second gondola, which is going to start at the base, go to a learning center mid mountain, and then eventually continue to the top of steamboat. And that will be the longest gondola in North America. Wow. Um, along the way, they're removing multiple current chairlifts. Um, at least, I think, three this summer are getting removed. And they're also building a high-speed quad beginner lift uh, this year. And then next year, in addition to the rest of the gondola, they're doing a big expansion to the north. So just an incredible level of investment over three years there. I'll be excited to go back. I think I'm going to be going there pretty regularly for the next couple of years. Oh, I don't blame you. I'm, I'm hoping to get back soon, too. Uh, it won't recognize the place. Speaking of not recognizing the place in a few years, let's move over or head a little bit north uh, to Montana, Big Sky. 
the final chapter. The video, two-minute video, left me a little speechless. Can you talk about that project a little bit? And is that one that you're also equally excited to see complete? Yeah, so Big Sky is on this bit of a journey to turn uh, that part of Montana into a little bit of a European resort. So Lone Peak certainly is, uh, you know, a mountain that could be in the amazing mountain range in Europe or any number of other places. But they're they're trying to basically have the lifts be just as impressive as the mountain. They've already done these bubble chair lifts. I think they now have four of them. And the next step is going to be a new gondola and a new tram, in addition to multiple new lodges, which are going to be pretty architecturally impressive. Oh, they look they look at glass floors, I think, or maybe that's actually in the uh, in the tram or something. But yeah, just. Yeah, very modern buildings. I mean, they're really yeah. kind of setting themselves apart from some of the other ski areas. You know, these aren't little log cabin lodges. They're well-designed glass modern buildings, both in the bowl and at the top of the mountain and a new learning center. Pretty impressive what's going on there as well. The last, uh, I think, ski area I wanted to ask your area, uh, out west anyway, is in Utah. So head back southwest over in Little Cottonwood Canyon. I know they're trying to relieve some congestion up the access road. Okay, gondola was a potential uh, option in terms of some mass transit solution. Is that, do you have any information on if that's even possible? If, if they, have they scrubbed that? I kind of lost track of it. I, uh, yeah, so just, uh, just the, this last week, uh, UDOT, which is the agency, the Utah Department of Transportation is, uh, in charge of the road and they're the ones that are looking at this potential gondola so they're they're studying gondola versus enhanced bus and then the third alternative is which is typically in these things is a no action just do nothing basically oh. or keep it the same <laughs> they haven't decided they just said that they're going to take more time because they got so many public comments about the what to do in Little Cottonwood Canyon. I do know that this is technically completely feasible, a 3S gondola. It's like the peak-to-peak -peak technology. Either of the main lift manufacturers could certainly build it. It would be funded through mostly through taxes, like the road. There's no technical reason why it couldn't be done. I think what the state is analyzing is the environmental and traffic considerations and the cost of building it and, and operating it. So we should know this summer the preferred alternative. And then even if, even if they were to select the gondola, then it has to get funded. So mm -hmm. we'll see, but it's definitely a possibility. Okay. Well, I'm going to ask you anything else out West that listeners should be aware of. I know there's, again, there's dozens of projects and I don't expect yeah, you to get check them out the map on my website. There's a lot of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> At least back east, I want to ask you about a couple. One was at Catamount, actually, of all places, a smaller skier on the New York, Massachusetts border. They are hopefully going to finish two chairlifts at the base area. I was there this winter season, and you actually kind of felt like you were in a construction zone, um, sort of the, the, the quad that gets you to the top, surrounded by kind of two lifts in, um, in construction Days. Can you just talk about uh, those those two? Yeah, so uh, I actually was watching the Catamount webcam a lot this winter to see if they were going to finish those things. Those are two fixed grip lifts. One goes to mid-mountain, one goes to the top. They're both used lifts, so one came from 
Holiday Valley in New York, and the other one came from a mix of resorts. It's a different manufacturer. But I think it's it's one of those examples of where a used lift project can can get complicated. And um, they they almost finished them. I mean, one of them in particular, I think the haul rope is on. It's almost done. So they'll be done next year. Then it won't look quite so much like a construction site. Yeah, and I think again, not I want to, in fairness to them, I, every everyone had delays like this year. So, um, but yeah, I just remember that you went through the quad. You went through an R, you had an RFID card to get up to the uh, to ride the quad, get up to the summit. But on the uh, the two other chairlifts on uh, skiers right there weren't there was an rfid you just you just you know hopped on the lift so it was just sort of like okay yeah they're in the middle of figuring this all out but it should be great next year when they're done also want to ask you about heading north to vermont first i guess we'll start with the one i'm well mm, both of them are probably great but uh, i guess we'll start with in stowe just the replacement of that mountain triple to is it, it's a high speed six six pack oh it is wow yeah. okay uh vale resorts has this what they're calling the epic lift upgrade it's 21 new lifts across their resorts west and east and midwest so stowe is one of the one of the lucky ones that's getting a detachable sorely needed i think everybody would probably agree that the high speed quad next to it is probably not enough lift for that much terrain the forerunner so I think the only question was whether to whether to put the six pack where the forerunner is and then mm. move the forerunner or just build the new six pack next to it. And um that's what they ended up doing. So it'll be a great project. It starts lower, so down at the parking lot level rather than so you don't have to hike up anymore. Yes. Oh, you shouldn't have to go uphill to get to an uphill <laughs> transportation device, in my opinion. <laughs> no question about it. I there's so many, I've had so many close calls on not making it up that hill uh, that I can't even begin to describe. But I haven't. I've never fell down, but a lot of close calls. All right, moving on to Magic Mountain. I just actually got a newsletter. You might have too from uh, Jeff Hathaway yesterday that just sort of provided an update uh, from everything at Magic, but also that their quad is near completion. And um, is that true in your estimation? Yeah, it's very close. I actually went there a couple a year ago and took pictures of it because it looked finished. The chairs are on it. The chairs have been on it. Um, it turned out that they had some engineering issues and they had to make some changes to the design of the towers. They've now been remanufacturing parts and acquiring parts. And it sounds like they have them now and uh, they're installing them one tower at a time. And I, uh, I have every expectation that that thing will be open, ready to go for next season. I wonder, I'm always wondering how, or I wondered how many, people new to magic maybe for the first time and they like lined up at the quad not knowing that it wasn't running yet this season looks like it could run tomorrow <laughs> it does it does okay you no know, mount snow is also doing some upgrades in terms of just being one of the uh, big resorts in the area replacing two triples with a high speed six pack won't have a bubble though uh, any other uh, projects out east that uh, back east that folks should be aware of boyne is doing another eight person lift at sunday river so Jordan Bowl is going to be the the next big upgrade at uh, Sunday River, which nice. replaces a detachable quad. So that's a pretty big change going from a quad to an eight in Jordan Bowl, which, as I mentioned earlier, Sunday River is one of the greats in my mind in uh, New England. And that part of Sunday River in particular is just beautiful. 
Yeah, that skier is left. Yeah, I uh, didn't get to Sunday River this year, but uh, plan to be back next season. Uh, well, actually, they're still open, so maybe, who knows, maybe I'll get there this year. Okay, that was it for my lifts I wanted to ask you about. One other thing I think I teased you about earlier is Europe. I know you mentioned the Alps as a bucket list destination, but uh, European lifts seem to be the headliners in a lot of the top 10 world's lists, the coolest, scariest, uh, must-rides. Do you think, I know you have Canada still to finish, but do you think at some point Europe could be a new goal? I think I will go to Europe on vacation and ski and check out the lifts <laughs> and not take any pictures. Fair enough. <laughs> or have to uh, take any notes. I think I'll just uh, take it all in and enjoy it. Keep that one pure. Love it. Okay. Um, one last uh, question just about small ski areas and lifts. It's obviously a huge expense. Are there any trends for small ski areas or any projects of note? Certainly they would be the more likely group to be buying a used lift rather than buying a brand new lift as they try to com continue to compete. I think a lot of ski small skiers are looking at replacing lifts with fixed grip, new fixed grip lifts. Just a, a relatively simple fixed grip quad or fixed grip triple offers some advantages. You know, the old fixed grip lifts are, are certainly, if well-maintained, will last a long time. But certain smaller skiers are seeing the benefits of replacing an old, a really old lift with a, a new fixed grip simple lift. And then the other big thing with small skiers, and all skiers really, is um, investing in snowmaking. With the winter we just saw in New England and in the whole Northeast, snowmaking is just so important and as much as i love lifts you can't go skiing without snow i'm with you there as so we're nearing the end and it, as i mentioned before we hit record it is a tradition to have a few uh, trivia questions to kind of wrap things up of course related to the uh, topic at hand which is lifts are you ready to uh, tackle a couple questions about lift surf skiing in the u.s i hope so <laughs> all right i think the first two are going to be pretty easy but uh we'll, we'll try to stump you anyway fill in the blank what u.s ski area has the most lifts i did get this from your uh, website according to my database <laughs> yeah well uh, yeah no i think i did check it i'm gonna say park city you are correct yeah got it it's yeah. big sky and park city they're very close mm -hmm. they have 41 how many this is a bonus because i couldn't help myself how many are gondolas at park city yeah. Mm, are you counting an open air gondola that serves yeah, the parking lot? Yeah, takes people. Yeah, it was. That's. See, you know it. I'm not. You don't have to worry about answering that. I'm just. Gonna I'm going to say you. four. You are correct. It's four. The yeah. cabriolet. All right. <laughs> this is going to be easy for you. Fill in the blank. What is the only e ski area to have a chandala? Sunday River. You got it. Yeah, we're talking about the river. Uh, a lot today. Bonus question though, can you name the other ski areas with the Chandala? I counted that there were five other ones, but that might not be correct. In the United States? Yes, in the US, yeah. Uh, Telluride has one. Yep. North Star at Tahoe yep. has one. Mm -hmm. There's one at uh, Mount Orchard in Quebec. This is extra, so your uh, your streak is not in, in, not in <laughs> way jeopardized here. Beaver Creek. Yep, two more. One Mount Orford more, in Canada has one, but one in Colorado, not. and then one uh, in the Southwest. Oh, Copper Mountain yep. has one. Yep. The Southwest. Yeah. Ooh, that might stump me. Arizona Snowball. Oh yeah, the new one. Okay. Yeah. All right, uh, number three. You're two for two. Now I asked you about Connecticut earlier. This one may stump you, but what, multiple choice at least, what Connecticut ski area has the most chairlifts? Uh, Mohawk, 
Mountain, Mount Southington, Powder Ridge, or Ski Sundown? Let me see here. Yeah, I just my note here was I brought up Connecticut intentionally to get your memory wheels turning. <laughs> in my mind, the four the four bigger skiers in Connecticut are all very similar. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I would, I'm going to say it's around five. Lift. It is five. I'm going to give it to you. It's five. I, I didn't even give you the number. So you got it, man. You got it. Okay. It's five. It is uh, Mohawk Mountain. Yeah, it's sort of the wider of the bunch. Um, yep. So uh, they can they can spread them out. So great job, man. That's awesome. Three for three. All right. Uh, well, actually, really uh, five for five with the bonuses. But uh, number four. Okay. This is a matching game, matching question. So I went to your database, new lifts for 2022, this current year, three lifts, and I want you to match them to the ski area. Okay. I'm okay. going to give you the mat. I'm going to give you the lift name. Okay. Uh, and then I'm going to give you the ski area. So hopefully, hopefully this won't be too tough here. These, these names just kind of spoke to me for some reason. Mary Widow, Mogul Monster, and Powder Puff are the three lifts. And the, ants, the uh, ski areas, which I'm looking for, in alphabetical order, are Big Boulder, Cascade Mountain, and Powder Ridge. Can you Powder, Powder Ridge has Powder Puff. That's correct. Mary Widow is Big Boulder. You got it. Three and, for three. Yeah. Process of elimination, Mogul Monster to Cascade. Got it. Mogul Monsters Cascade, yep. On fire. And for folks, Big Boulders in Pennsylvania, Cascade Mountains in Wisconsin, and Powder Ridge is not the one in Connecticut. It was the one in Minnesota. All right, question five. Only a couple more, and then I'm going to let you go. Multiple choice. This is not from your website, so this could be the stumper. Wolf Creek, Colorado was the first ski area to open for lift serve skiing this past winter season. They opened on October 16th. To 17, 2021, thanks to 14 inches of inches of natural snow, four lifts opened over that weekend. Which lift was not among them? Bonanza chair, Lynx lift, Nova chair, Raven chair, or Treasure Stoke chair? So over the weekend, four of them opened, one did not. Who's the imposter in that list? This is the stumper. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's two ways you could go with this: either beginner. <laughs> Or the the highest one, um, right? Right. That I would yes, that would. Be I'm going to say links lift. Links lift. You're saying that's that didn't open. Yeah, that is incorrect, Peter. I apologize. <laughs> Raven chair did okay. not open. Liquor's right. Yeah, but yeah. it was the third earliest opening for Wolf Creek. They really pushed the envelope at Wolf Creek. If if there's a flake of snow that you can ski on, they will open the lift to it. Ski it if you can. That's what they say at Mad River. Uh, number six, and then one more after that. What 2020, so again, this is from your new database, lift database. What 2023 chairlift will ultimately share a name with a New York ski area? So multiple choice. So again, the new chairlift name will share its name with an actual New York ski area. I've asked this type of question before and it always confuses people. So um, don't <laughs> worry if it does. The multiple choice, Gore Mountain, Hunter Mountain, West Mountain, or Whiteface? The name of the lift at that place is going to be the same, the name of New York ski area? So, no, um, no, it doesn't have to actually do with that, that New York ski area. It's just, this is where the game confuses people. Yeah, it's literally just the name of the lift is shared with a ski area in New York. It's a confusing question. This is how my mind works, so I apologize. But... Uh, Want to read it one more time? Yeah, so... <laughs> Yeah, so there's a, there's a, there will be a new chairlift next year that will have the same name as a ski area in New York State. 
I'll give you a hint. The hint here is that uh, it's a relocated chairlift from Big Sky, and it's in Maine. Uh, <laughs> it's going to Sugar West Loaf. Mountain. West Mountain is. is He's got it! Boom, 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 boom! <laughs> yeah, so West Mountain is the name yeah. of the expansion at Sugarloaf and the name yeah. of a ski area in New York. So that wasn't confusing at all. No, believe me, man, it was. I This happened <laughs> last episode, and it, it was just funny to laugh about it. But uh, That's like, just, you know, I feel like I'm on NPR uh, <laughs> Saturday news quiz here. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of what I'm going for, you know, the only <laughs> ski uh, ski quiz that you could maybe – uh, maybe around, but uh, thanks for being a good sport on that. I should also note Mount Hood Meadows will have a Mount Hood Express. So in terms of the the uh, genre of the question, that, that also could have worked, but it wasn't close to the Adirondacks, which I skied at this year. All right, finally, last matching to close us out, uh, matching 2023 uh, lift projects. So again, these lift names got my mind thinking, uh, Mardi Gras, Miami Beach, and Wild Blue. And you're going to match. I can tell you now. those without the, you don't need to tell without me. Without the matching. He's dropping the mic, everybody. Miami got? Beach is Red Lodge. Got it. Uh, Wild Blue is Steamboat. Got it. And what was the other lift name? Uh, Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras is Holiday Valley, New York. Got it. Swept them. <laughs> Swept the matching. Uh, well, hey, you know your stuff, man. And I didn't, you didn't need to talk to me to, uh, to prove that. But I, I hope you had a little fun with those questions. And uh, uh, I appreciate you being a good sport. As we close out, I call this segment Last Chair. I mean, All right. how, how great is that? Anything we didn't cover? Anything to plug? Uh, we didn't talk a lot about Canada, but my, uh, my next quest is to try and ski every lift and resort in Canada, which is in some ways an even harder challenge than, than the United States. It's just such a huge country. And unlike the United States, uh, they're skiing everywhere there. So every single province in Canada has ski areas. So that's my next, my next quest. I have no idea how long it will take me, but I'm going to try. Even Newfoundland? Newfoundland has Newfoundland. multiple skiers, two skiers in Newfoundland and one in Labrador, which oh, is, Labrador? is all the same province. So yeah, I mean, that's like halfway to uh, Ireland to go there. So we'll see. Actually, uh, I do have one last question and I swear I will let you go. I know you've been asked this particular question many times, uh, so I'm going to add a twist to it. Uh, I know What are your top five lifts, favorite lifts, but do you think any new lifts coming online in the next couple of seasons could sneak their way into your top five. Most definitely. I'll, I will say one of them probably will be the base-to-base at Palisades. And then the other four, peak-to-peak, which we talked about, mm-hmm. the Jackson Hole Tram. Home Tram, Big Red. Uh, and then I get two more, right? Two more. Crystal Mountain has a place in my heart. The Chair 6, which is the summit lift at Crystal. And I've got to do one back east. I got to. I was going to say, man, give me one. It should be Slide Brook. The longest. Yep. yep. Slide Brook Express at Sugarbush. Mellon Ellen, Lincoln Pink Connection. Peter, this was a blast. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you hopping on and talking to me about your goal and lift surf skiing and, and lifts in the U.S. Also want you to keep an eye on a ski area coming back in Connecticut of all places. Woodbury Ski Area in Connecticut is expected to open for the 2023-2024 winter season. And uh, hopefully you'll, be, uh, you'll put them on your hit list to visit some point. If, it's, uh, if it reopens, I'll, I will definitely go. Awesome. Well, hey, again, I can't thank you enough for joining me today. And uh, I hope to make some turns, whether it's at Woodbury or next time you are 
back east or maybe I'm at, at Jackson. So thank you again. Thanks, Jeff. Looks like it's four o'clock. Time to catch the last chair. Thank you for listening. Have a question, comment, or correction? Email me at powderhoundskitrivia at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at powderhoundskis. Better yet, subscribe to the podcast at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast Manager, Verbal, Spotify, and Stitcher. Just type Powderhound Podcast. Until next time, see you on the slopes, Powderhounds.